Hey, if you like free stuff, you're going to like Tim's Rewards by Tim Hortons. You can earn free food or drinks after every seven purchases. Cool. How do I win? Um, it's not a contest. You just use your Tim's Rewards card. And after seven purchases, you score a free coffee, tea, or baked good. Whoa. So I've got a pretty good chance of winning. Well, actually, you've got a 100% chance of winning. Those are great odds. <laughs> they sure are. Free coffee and more with Tim's Rewards. It's Tim Hortons' way of saying thanks. Valid only at participating restaurants. Please visit restaurant or timhortons.com slash rewards for full program details. Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the all-new Samsung Galaxy S10 included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after $22.50 a month credit. Apply within two bills of cancel early remaining amounts due. Unlimited basic after 630 20 Pay $32 per month per line for five lines with auto-pay data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I think last episode, Armand survived a tornado, and this week, it's Jake and I surviving a winter storm in the middle of April, except Jake's not with us. But uh, hello to everybody, Steven Jodder and Amakafai. Armand, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing Thought well. Snow. Ah, it's it's freezing. I can't believe it. <laughs> it, it I, I, I was out late Saturday night, and was walking outside and it sounded like it was raining but it was freezing rain so you were just walking and it, it just was hurting your face yeah it's a no for me dog uh, <laughs> and I'm the worst more, i'm more the worst yeah. the worst part is that the the frozen ice particles would get stuck in your hair so you walk inside and then you're you're as you're inside warming up your head is actually freezing because there's so much ice stuck in your hair and the next thing sounds you know, like you need to invest in a beanie. Yeah, yeah. Um, you could buy one at Away Days, uh, AwayDaysFootball.com. You get a pretty. You nice can buy beanie. so much stuff at Away Days, man. I I got my order actually in this week, and uh, I mean I posted the video on Twitter, and you're a fake follower if you haven't seen that video. But um, dude, it, the the jersey thing is actually like 100% sick. Oh, I, what did, what type of jersey I, did you get? Uh, it's the it's FC Wackers jersey. Um, That's awesome. They're 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 first in the Austrian second division right now. They're on the verge of getting promoted. Dude, I, like when I opened it, I was like, I don't even know what to expect. I mean, it was it was awesome. I mean, I used our promo code Uncle Sam fifteen percent off. And let me tell you, what Martin has going on there is outstanding. I mean. I'm gonna order another one at some point. I also have a jersey addiction, so that might be part of the problem. But <laughs> yeah, that I mean, might be outside a... that, I might have to get another one. Small issue there. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Unc Sam Starkard Pod, or Monkify, Steven Jodder. In today's episode, we're gonna talk some MLS. Who's the best team in MLS through Week Seven? Uh, James Grossi, contributor 
to MLSsoccer.com. He's going to be joining us talking about TFC and the CONCACAF Champions League. And then later on in the show, we'll be having Eric Gomez, contributor to ESPN, to talk about the team TFC will be playing, and that is Chivas. It's pretty exciting times for U.S. soccer, particularly U.S. club soccer, with Toronto playing Chivas in the CONCACAF Champions League. And then MLS, Armand, it's been really exciting. I mean, well, we're just, what, two hours? Uh, it was two hours ago. We saw the end of uh, Atlanta and NYCFC go down, or about an hour and a half ago. Um, and what was, I thought, a thrilling game from on both sides. I know, Steven, you watched it. How'd you feel about it? It was a it was an exciting, exciting game. I, I can't believe that MLS is at the level it is now. And it's it's dramatically changed from the soccer games that I was watching a couple years ago. This was end-to-end stuff. I mean, just look at the managers on the sideline. Patrick Vieira and Tata Martino. I mean, who would have said those names four years ago? Yeah, you'll be watching an MLS soccer game with 50,000, 60,000 in the stadium with uh, uh, a French legend and a manager who's coached the best player in the world in Lionel Messi. Who... You, who in the right mind would have said those words? I would have punched them in the face and said, "Stop! Yep. You're being delusional." I wouldn't have, yep, I wouldn't have said that. And the styles put on, oh, for, I mean, beautiful! It Too was, con- it was, it was fun. It was contrasting football. It was possession versus the counterattack. It was beautiful mm-hmm. stuff to watch, and um, I, I don't. It was just, it was fun to watch, and and I think these are obviously these are. Two of the better sides in MLS. There are still some really crappy games out there to watch. Uh, Armand, I know you were busy all weekend. Did you find any other games that were just really bad to watch? Uh, bad to watch? I mean, not necessarily off the top of my head. There, uh, The Philadelphia-Orlando game was weird because I think it's like the third straight week. Like I've seen... Orlando come out with a win, but not look overly impressive. Um, the ending to Portland and Minnesota was pretty fun, too. We saw Darren Quintero get his debut and get a goal and also create the own goal, basically, that uh, uh, Minnesota capitalized in the lost 3-2. I, I was going to rant on how Minnesota's really underappreciated. I might say that for another weekend. <laughs> You'll um, make Jake happy. <laughs> yeah, I'll make Jake happy, but... Um, this Atlanta NYCFC game was a crown of all the matches uh, involved. Um, I was watching it with a close eye on everything, and uh, let me tell you something, Stephen. One player on Atlanta that's made me almost rethink the college system is Julian Gressel. This yeah, guy yeah. at right wing back has been immense. I th- I think. You're on to something about this college game because this is not the first time you've mentioned to me that you're rethinking the college system. Oh, I've 100% like um, I've like I've almost not done a 180, but I'm like approaching it because I, I look I've been seeing play left and right. We saw Jacory Hayes score the game-winning goal for FC Dallas. He's from Wake Forest, and the kid can play. I think he he's going to uh, push out Carlos Grezo from the starting lineup. That's what, an uh, Ecuadorian, I want to say it's Ecuadorian or Venezuelan, I think it's Ecuadorian, um, uh, not international, getting pushed up by a guy who was just in college a couple years ago. I mean, it's to me, like, 
there's plenty of serviceable players in that college system, and I've just begun to re- rethink it. I mean, Julian Gressel was one of them. Um, just uh, he he played a big role. Darlington Nagby with that strike, even though it got pulled back, it was still one hell of a strike. And there's many, and there's a couple other players um, that uh, did play in the college system. I think I am beginning to rethink it, and it's. It's it's different from the uh, conversation that we were having uh, a few months back. I do I do wonder what I mean, it would be interesting to see the homegrown talent and I know Kellen Acosta is a pretty big name, but I wonder if we can come up with other big names that are homegrown versus the going through college and going through that route. You know what I'm saying in the sense of. Who's had that? Which has the highest ceiling? You know, you have Montreal giving up all their draft picks and saying, "You know what? We're going with our academy." But then you have other clubs who are like, "No, nah, we'll we'll see what we can do through the the draft." I think the draft, man, is a really um, what's the word for it? A really cheap way to get good talent. I think yeah, that's like a good it, way. You, it's it's not it's not as much of an investment. Now, I would say the academy players potentially have a higher ceiling because they start younger. You get them at maybe 16, 17, 18. But the college player comes in, I think, more ready because their body is more ready. And I think they've been playing competitive soccer. Now, if they revamp the uh, system in where how it's played, uh, I think a lot of D1 players can be serviceable in uh, – Within MLS, I mean, we've seen it. I mean, look at what faith Tata Martino, an internationally renowned manager, is putting in to a player like Julian Gressel, who I think went to Providence University. That's that's impressive, man. And the way Gressel has been playing, it's it's not like oh, you know, he's just system. No, he's creating opportunities, and his services are ones that Martinez is capitalizing on and uh, scoring. So I mean. That's just one example, but I mean, there's, there, I think there's plenty of others around the a league, and maybe one episode I'll go in depth and try to find uh, key contributors for each a- one. But, I mean, I think it does play a big role. No, for sure. And this past weekend, the biggest game, as we alluded to earlier, was Atlanta United versus NYCFC. Armand, what was your biggest takeaway from this game? Biggest takeaway, man. New York City tries to impose their own style. Atlanta has a contrasting style, like you mentioned. But my biggest takeaway is New York City FC is the best team in the league. They came on the road. They imposed their style. Sure, they got hit in the counter a few times, but this is against the second-best team in MLS. They David Villas is, is still a threat, and they were able to bring him off the bench. Now, I don't know if that's going to be a usual thing for Patrick Vieira. Well, he was... It might be just... But kind of injured, coming off an injury. Um, Villa was hurt. But he came on early. Yes. Well, Villa was yeah, coming he, off, he, and I think was a calf injury, if I remember correctly. And yeah. the substitution was forced. So I don't know if they were wanting him to play 30 minutes versus 60 minutes, because I think he came in. I could check here. But he came in in that 20-something minute marker. He came in like the 30, 30-something. 30 yeah, you're right, 30-something. Um, but they did have – they do have depth. I mean – they took off Jesus. They took off uh, Burgett, and they brought in um, Rodney Wallace at, uh, at some point. They have depth all around the squad, and I think that's going to be a, a, a really key part of NYC's success. And let me tell you something: they w- weathered the storm at some at 
some points you thought Atlanta can get three, four, but no, they were fine defensively. And even though Atlanta put on pressure, there weren't that many clear-cut chances. On the, on Atlanta's side, I mean, you saw a team that came out and tried to impose their will. And what I love about what Tata Martino does is how aggressive he pushes up those wingbacks. On the first goal, the great guards are tapping. You see the wingbacks push really high up. And that goal isn't made if the wingbacks aren't there. If the wingbacks aren't that high up, there is no no goal. I think he did kind of go interesting in which he kind of switched to 5-4-1. I mean, it was what I was seeing and what I was also reading on Twitter uh, when he subbed on Barco. Mm-hmm. And also they announced on the uh, TV, and maybe that wasn't the best idea to go towards a five-four-one, but I don't think it hindered them. They were still putting chances. I think they're just trying to protect against uh, a loss in the end. Um, Via came on in the thirty-fifth minute, scored three minutes later for, uh, off the penalty. PK. PK. Um, my biggest takeaway is the fact that NYCFC went to Atlanta, played in front of that hostile environment, weathered the storm, and picked up a massive road point. Um, and I think this these these two clubs are going to be here all season long. And I wonder who is better suited if the home field advantage makes a big difference because NYCFC just proved we can do it at home, we can do it on the road. Now, can Atlanta United do it on the road? They're, they seem unstoppable at home. question is, can they be good on the road? We're only seven weeks in, so we don't know, obviously. But th- those are the big points. But I think NYCFC is for real. When Patrick Vieira said in the offseason uh, that he has a team that really could compete for trophies, he knew what he was talking about, and he was not lying. It was not, you know, smoke somebody's up somebody's rear end. He he knew what he was saying, and I it's 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 stunning to watch them play because that blue you could just change the names on on the back, and you'd suddenly be thinking you're watching a club in Europe, if you know what I mean. <laughs> a certain champion of uh, yeah. uh, some regard, um, but no, you're right. Um, they just impose impose their will on you, and there's nothing well, it's much very you can city. Do. It's very Manchester City esque. Uh, was Alexi Lawless or, or Strong in the broadcast said that you know Patrick Vieira and Pep Guardiola? We're gonna play the way we are. If we're home and way, we're not gonna bend over backwards to to do it for whoever we're playing. This is the way we play. And I wonder sometimes that gets managers in troubles when they're stubborn like that. But most of the time, if you have the team and you're a good team, it works out because. Look what happened, and and, and here's the uh, here's another huge takeaway: the Atlanta crowd. Did you see what they did at the end of the game? They booed. They just booed. yeah, they weren't satisfied. They were not satisfied. How often does that happen? I mean, not often, but Atlanta has grown to have high expectations. Um, speaking of expectations, Barco, what would you make of his debut? I thought it's obviously going to be a little bit of an adjustment period. I, I thought he did have some. Like some flashes. flashes of what he can do, but it, there were quite literally flashes. I don't think there was anything you could really make from that game, to it, be honest with you. Yeah, it's flashes, and, and I think there's going to be a transition period. And you also need to think about, okay, well, Barco is also new to the teammates, and they're still trying to figure out how it works. It's some one thing to work it in the training grounds, another thing to work it at 100 miles an hour in a game. And as he gets situated, I think you're going to see 
how good this Atlanta United team can be. Um, with Barco, uh, you know, if he had done really well, it'd been great. He was doing really well. If he had been really poor, a lot of people would have said, "Listen, it's his first game. He was on for." But, it was a win-win, basically. Yeah, it was a win-win. He was on for twenty minutes. People got to see him. Woohoo! Hype. You know, the the bigger takeaway, Armand, when it comes to players, is Almiron. He played magnificent, magnificent. Oh my god, I can't pronounce that. He played brilliantly. <laughs> yeah, no, Almiron. He really did. Um, my takeaway from what I saw from Almiron is. I think we're at a point where we can be a little nitpicky with what he does. I think he – there's times where he just has to finish certain opportunities. Be a little more selfish. He, be a little more selfish. And he doesn't do it sometimes. I think that's great. That means Al Marone's at a point where we're like, damn, he's really good. But how can he get to be even better? And I think that's the next step Al Marone needs to take. Absolutely. Um, Armand, any other big takeaways from around the league? I mean, you're kind of triggering me to go on this Minnesota United rant. All right, come but, on, let's um, hear it. You've been teasing it all week to me. Well, and Jake. yeah, I mean, but, but I mean, here's here here here's here's what I wanted to say. I think Minnesota United doesn't get that much respect around around the league because of how they played last season. Um, they haven't added anyone massive. They still play at TCF Bank Stadium, but I think the signing of Darwin Quintero is a step towards the end of the quote-unquote uh, soft launch that a lot of people have tabbed uh, Minnesota United, that they're going to just kind of just ride through it. There's no relegation and then go for it in year three. If they get their stuff together, I think, I genuinely think if they get their stuff together, that they can make a push for a playoff spot. I genuinely this think season? This, this season. Um, in the summer, though, they're going to add one more piece. I mean, we, we heard they were trying to add... Um, I want to say he's a Colombian player, uh, but they couldn't agree on, on a fee. Um, I love the way Ethan Finley plays. Uh, their back line still has issues, and they gotta they gotta address address that somehow. But I mean, what you have, Darren Quintero, you have Christian Ramirez, who hasn't been really as great as he has been. But I mean, you also do have another rookie who I really like, Mason Toy from Indiana. He's been really good. You have Ibarra as a as a threat. I watched them play. Chicago um, at TCF. I think it was their second or third game of the season, and they were just awesome to watch. It was a fun game. Nicholson really good too, um, but I think they do have a bias because they did play against a full strength. Uh, what is it? Uh, full strength Red Bull team, which we we're seeing is a top caliber team. Uh, they got unlucky um, against Atlanta. They just couldn't score, even though they're up uh, up a man. But Atlanta's another top team, and they played Portland. Uh, in in their home opener, so I just feel like uh, Minnesota doesn't get that much appreciation, but I feel like we're seeing the end of their quote unquote, like I said, soft lunge, and either we'll see them maybe potentially push for a playoff spot. Hopefully, this take doesn't go extremely wrong, or um, <laughs> or uh, we, we we'll see them kind of end their uh, soft lunge. And just one more note, I I wanted to add. Um, I wasn't really impressed by the way New England played uh, over the weekend. I watched the New England-Dallas game in full depth. Uh, Dallas wasn't amazing, but they pulled out a win in New England. I, I've never seen so many shots that have been skied, just just mm. shots that haven't been on target, just over the bar. They had opportunities. They just kept blasting. Right. Question is, 
Can you put Lee Wynn there? I mean, Tara Twelman today mentioned that Eastern Conference team offered 750K for Lee Wynn, which I think is a little bit on the less side. But can he play a role? Is he? I think he might be able to play a role for the team. And the fact that he isn't in there and they're blasting shots over the bar like crazy, I mean, I think there might be a couple questions asked, kind of like how last week people were asking questions about Coleman uh, getting on a starting lineup for Dallas. Uh, quickly, Armand, best team in MLS is NYCFC. I agree. Uh, up next, we're gonna be talking with James Grassi. He contributes to MLSsoccer.com, covers Toronto FC. We're gonna talk some uh, Champions League. F- yeah, Champions League final. Joining us right now is an MLSsoccer.com contributor and RTFC guru, James Grassi. James, how are you doing today? No, not too bad. Trying to stay out of this freezing rain that, rain that we have rolling through town right now. So I'm just uh, hiding away, trying to stay warm. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing the same thing. Oh, this winter storm is insane. But James, uh, a lot of talk around U.S. club soccer is with TFC and I guess it's the third MLS side to reach the this type of CONCACAF Champions League final RSL and Montreal did in previous years. But this seems to be the first side that people are giving... Or they're the favorite, uh, actually, in this matchup. I mean, what's the buzz around town like? Yeah, you know, if you talk to the club, they would, uh, they would very much dismiss that whole talk of favorites. You know, I, I don't think anyone really likes getting into that sort of conversation uh, you know, Michael Bradley was asked immediately after the match at Azteca last week, and uh, he sort of laughed and threw it back at the media as like, "This is the media's favorite question to ask a side is, you know, <laughs> are, are they the favorites?" And it was actually kind of funny. You saw Michael sort of smile and have a bit of fun, which is, is pretty rare. And uh, you know, we asked Vanny very much the same thing on a conference call earlier this week, and and his point was basically that you know, when it comes to these games, all all that sort of talk doesn't really matter it comes down to what the two teams do on the day but you know that said as much as the team is going to refuse to accept that mantle uh you know it's hard to not see them as that going in and i think that's very much the difference between the two previous mls teams that have reached this stage you know salt lake when they when they came here they were you know they were clearly the best team in the league and they've done very well to get here in montreal you know, maybe maybe it was a bit more of a surprise that Montreal reached mm-hmm. this stage, but I don't think anybody could argue that Toronto hasn't deserved to be where they are, given given the gauntlet that they've had to run through to get to this point. And so, you know, between between the general sports media sort of, you know, it's a bit of a bad time of year for TSC, well, with the Leafs in the playoffs and the Raptors in the playoffs and the Blue Jays season just starting. So, you know, it's it's not exactly front page material but it's definitely on the radar and people are, uh, are perked up for some soccer early in the season how do you think uh, greg vanny has done balancing mls and ccl i mean they the club has obviously stated that they've put all their uh attention in this in, uh, on the ccl 
Do you think he's even done a balancing job or just put kind of put all of his marbles in uh, the CCL? Um, that's a bit of a tough one. You know, uh, if, if we look at every other team in the league at this point, like teams have played what, like five or six matches and everyone's still sort of figuring out how the new pieces fit together and what they're going to look like and still getting their match fitness up. And, you know, Toronto's only played four league matches as of, as of this point. But if you add in those six CONCACAF games, you know, 10 matches in the last two months is it's a pretty hectic schedule for any team to sort of be carrying while at the same time building up their fitness for a long season. So, you know, I sort of got the sense through the first couple of matches that, and Greg sort of explicitly said this himself, was that every 90 minutes that they played was a chance for them to build the team, you know. And so we saw in those early matches, like against Montreal or against Salt Lake or Columbus, we saw, we saw Vanny really take the time to, to get guys like Gregory Vanderveel and get the new Spanish import, uh, Garrett Keche, to get them minutes and try and integrate them in the team just because he knew that there would be these huge matches coming up and, and you sort of wanted to have everybody on the same page and everybody at your disposal. And it's been really difficult in, in terms of that sort of finding the balance between doing as well as you as you would like to do in the league and focusing as much as you possibly can on this sort of momentous occasion in the CONCACAF Champions League. And, you know, up until this weekend, I would say that, that they've definitely been giving equal attention to both with the idea that, you know, they weren't just preparing for any one match. They were sort of going about their preparation for the whole season. But I think we saw a bit of a different tactic in, in Colorado this weekend. And I think we'll see something very similar in Houston where, you know, they actually sent most of the guys who played at Azteca back to Toronto to prepare for Tuesday's match. And so they were very much at a skeleton squad down in Colorado for the match. For Houston, what do you expect? I, mean, I was reading some uh, articles, I mean, that explicitly stated, like, look, we're going to, we might, we might not even send Greg Vanny to Houston. So what, what should we expect uh, for that match? So a lot of players that play in the USL and, some fringe players that usually don't play in 18? Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. You know, uh, whether Vanny himself will be there, we'll, we'll sort of, uh, I guess it'll sort of stay, it'll speak to sort of how focused Toronto will be on the second leg. But, uh, you know, I, I don't, I think the hands are a little bit tied in terms of how many USL players they can send there. You know, there's, there are hardship rules, but you sort of have to be very limited in what you can do and, and so I think we'll see a side very much like the one that we saw in Colorado. You know, just on Friday, the club announced that they had signed Jason Hernandez, a veteran defender who was with the team last year, to a deal. And and they also added three more guys from uh, TFC2 signing first team deals. Two of them are homegrown, and another one is uh, a local boy from, from the Toronto area that's been with TFC2 for a couple of seasons. And so... You know, they were sort of playing with a pretty small roster. They, I think they only had about 24 or 25 of the 30 spots filled before last Friday. And so when it comes to that Houston game, what we've heard is sort of most of the team will, will leave Toronto after the first leg and they will travel down to Mexico City or down to Mexico to prepare for uh, for the match against Guadalajara. And then it sounds like they will they will have a group that will depart from there and go to Houston for that match. And all the rest of the players will stay down in Mexico focused on next Wednesday's second leg. And so we're probably going to see very much a squad of guys who would not be considered to be ready to play in that, in that 
second leg, you know, guys who wouldn't even be in the 18. So we're talking about, you know, a guy like Liam Fraser who made his debut on the weekend. He's a highly thought of academy prospect that they signed in the off season. And, you know, Ayo Akinola is a U.S. youth international that signed with the first team back in December that hasn't, hasn't debuted in MLS yet, but everyone has very high hopes for him. And so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw if we saw a couple of, of guys who were considered first-teamers, but it's very much going to be uh, that bare-bone skeleton spot heading into Houston. James, talk about the injuries. I know TFC's been dealing uh, with quite a bit of injuries going through the quarterfinals and the semifinals. They, they seem to be dropping like flies. I think at one point they were missing five key starters in, in the in the game in uh, against Club America. I might be wrong with that stat. But it's no, no. It, Go it's, ahead. It, it's five. Yeah, they've been missing five guys, and like what I said before about having played ten matches in in two months at the start of the season, it's something that's going to be very interesting to watch. Because you know, aside from going through this tum- tough competition and playing two of the best teams in Mexico and and reaching this point, you know, they've sort of had to do it with one hand tied behind their back. Victor Vasquez has been absent for large portions of it. Justin Morrill went down in the second leg, down at Tigres in Monterey. And uh, and Chris Mavinga has been dealing with a bit of a... Uh, we're not exactly sure what it is. It's a bit of an abdominal groin sort of thing that the club's just sort of trying to rest and get better. And then at Azteca, you lose Josie Altador like six minutes into the game, which is a, a gut punch. And then Gregory Vanderville had to leave early. Uh, in the match, he left at halftime uh, with uh, what Vanny described as tendonitis, although he, he wasn't exactly specific as to where that tendonitis was. So, you know, heading into Tuesday, we're not quite sure who's going to be available. It's been a, it's been a grind for this team between playing at altitude and playing on a horrible turf in Montreal at the Olympic Stadium and playing on the really soft grass here at Bemo Field where the weather has just been not nice for growing uh, the kind of surface the team likes to play on. It's just been a really tough start to the year. And so we'll see what happens. But yeah, they're, they're very shorthanded. And, you know, that's not even to mention the possibility of some guys being suspended for the second leg. James, what's your biggest worry going into this, uh, the first leg of the CCL final? Um, that's a tricky one because, um, you know, Chivas, after, after getting past, America and getting past Tigres, who you know you could make the case are two of the best teams down in Mexico. No one's quite sure what to expect from from Chivas. You know they've struggled in Liga MX, and you know you could make a case relatively easily that Red Bull should have gone through in the other semifinal, and we'd be having an all MLS clash. So it's one of those it's one of those situations where how they approach the game will very much not necessarily dictate how it'll play out, but it'll it'll sort of affect how Toronto wants to go about things. You know, Toronto has made, they've made the most of having the first legs at home through these last two series. Um, you know, getting getting the 2-1 win over Tigres and, and going down there and doing just enough to get by on away goals. And then taking that massive 3-1 win in the first leg against Club America, which turned out to be pretty much all they needed. And so I expect Toronto to, to look to make the most of being at home once more. You know, they're going to have a, a very full house that's that's going to be very excited. The weather here has been absolutely disgusting, and it's not looking like it's going to get much better before the game. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's not going to be quite as cold. We've been hovering around freezing, which means we've had this weird mix of, like, ice and snow. And, mm. and so there's, a, there's about two inches of 
of uh, you know hard snow rain smush on the ground right now and you know the grounds crew at BMO Field sort of tweeted out a picture of of the stadium all covered in snow and <laughs> it looks like it's going to warm up by a couple of degrees but uh, it'll still be sort of rainy and miserable and, and uh, not very pleasant especially as the sun goes down and nighttime comes around so yeah you know does Chivas does Chivas sort of come in and bunker and do what we saw them do at Red Bull Arena in that second leg and how effective is that going to be given that they're missing three of their starters as well so uh you know, it'll be interesting. I expect Toronto to sort of come out and, and look to do as much damage as they can at home and, and look to carry that into the second leg. Uh, James, before we go, a quick question. Has the weather been a factor for the Mexican sides that have played in Toronto when it's been so cold? Do you think Toronto has an, an upper hand in, in that department, just knowing and being a little more comfortable with it? I, I, I don't uh, I it's always sort of hard to get inside people's heads and see sort of how that's affected them. But I would say this, the combination of the weather and the pitch has been sort of difficult for teams to wrap their heads around. You know, it's, it's been, you know, hovering around freezing for the most part. And, you know, March and April are not the best times for a nice green lawn here in Toronto. So, the, the ground crews really struggled to to get a pitch that that would really hold together, and so it's been a really soft pitch, and that sort of affects your ability to make those really sharp movements and those quick changes of direction. You know, uh, we've seen Sebastian Jovinko, sort of, who's one of the one of the more dynamic players on the team. He's really struggled with with getting the grip that he needs to to bite into that pitch and to make his quick movements. And so, for Mexican sides that are used to playing on, you know, these really lush carpets that really sort of are are durable and allow you to play the way that you want to play. It's definitely something that you sort of have to consider. You know, you, you lose that little bit of explosiveness that can be the difference between, you know, a defender being able to get over and get in your way and you're being able to work your way past them. So I wouldn't say that, that the cold necessarily has been, you know, cold is cold. I'm sure the players don't like it, but once you're running around and you're in the game, I'm sure you hardly even notice it. The way that the pitch is sort of, required of change of game plans, I would say, has definitely thrown a curveball at some of the visitors. And, you know, I heard Chivas were coming into town early and that apparently because of the nasty weather, their flight was delayed or something like that. I'm not sure of those details, Ooh. but it's just one more sort of thing to think about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it hasn't been a pleasant time. I guess it's... I guess it's been a nice Canadian spring welcome for them up here. <laughs> <laughs> James, final question for you. Is there any worries either within the fan base or what you've heard of the mat of the matchup being kind of a letdown after taking down top uh, Liga MX sides such as Club America and Tigres? Yeah, you know, I, I asked, uh, well, Bradley was asked this immediately after the game, and I asked Vanny on that conference call about uh, about the potential of Chivas sort of being the weakest of the sides. And, and, you know, is this sort of, is it sort of a letdown in the sense of, you know, you always sort of want the final to be the pinnacle and, you know, if there's anything world football has taught us, it's sometimes those semifinals or those quarterfinals are really the games of the tournament. Yep, yep. So, so it wouldn't be against the norm. And, and what both Vanny and, and Bradley sort of said was that, you know, this is a final. It doesn't really matter what a team's been doing in their league. It doesn't matter, you know, what they've done to get here. Once you're in a final, all that sort of gets thrown out the window, along with that favorites tag that we were talking about before. You know, this will be 180 minutes. Those two very good teams, two teams that are very much full of pride in themselves and their organizations. And, you know, they'll both go out there and they'll do everything they can to win. And so, 
you know, Chivas might be at the bottom of the Liga MX table or, or down in the dumps a little bit in the league season. But, you know, this is a big team with a lot of support and, and they'll come out and they'll play that way in this series. And so, you know, Toronto's not really expecting a uh, an easy ride through these two matches. And, you know, I think something else that Bradley said post-match was that, you know, in Tigres, they sort of had to get through the best team in Mexico, the team that's been the most successful in the last couple of years. And in uh, in Club America, they sort of had to get through the historically most successful team in Mexico. And so now to just complete this sort of gauntlet by having to go through the most popular mm. team in Mexico, the, the team that's sort of Mexico's team, just sort of, you know, it's it's you couldn't have drawn up a better a better conclusion to a Champions League for a club like Toronto or, or a club that's, uh, you know, representing Canada and MLS in this competition. Oh, absolutely. Well, James, we appreciate it uh it's our uh, you know shameless plug here so where can we find you on twitter where can we find your work and uh where can we f- i don't know i guess you'll be at the game tuesday night yeah i'll be covering the match on tuesday you can uh we've got a couple pieces up at mls soccer well one that's up and one that'll be up tomorrow morning sort of based on uh, a lot of what i've been talking with you about here on the injuries and the yellow cards and sort of tfc's assessment of what Jesus will be throwing at them and you know, uh, on Twitter, I'm at Grassi. It's sort of a, a deranged version of my last name. It's G-R-A-W-S-E-E. And, uh, you know, we'll be uh, we'll be covering everything. up meeting into Tuesday, and then uh, whatever happens after that, we'll see. We will see, uh, absolutely. We'll have to have you back on to, I guess, follow up on whatever happens with this game. But thanks again, James, and uh, stay warm out there. <laughs> I will, man. I will. And yeah, anytime. It's, uh, it's shaping up to be a really fun week here in Toronto. So, uh, yeah, just keep in touch. Absolutely. Thanks again. All right, to give us the other side of the CONCACAF Champions League final viewpoint is Eric Gomez. You can follow him on Twitter at EricGomez86. He writes for ESPN FC, ESPN. Eric is down in Mexico City. How's it going? It's going great. You know, just uh, counting down the days to the uh, CONCACAF Champions League final. So, pretty exciting stuff. So, uh, Eric, Chivas, they have really worked their way here. Uh, the results have been tough. They have not been spectacular, but here they are. It's kind of incredible that they're here. Yeah, I mean, they've been grinding out results practically the entire tournament. And I think um, pretty early on this season, they realized that they wouldn't have a, uh, a pretty big chance at, at the league title down here in Mexico, which is usually their focus, so they sort of uh, at some point just uh, shifted focus and, and uh, put all their eggs in that basket. It's worked out so far. I think that they played um, you know, well enough to win, and they've kind of not played to the style that their manager, Matias Almeida, has um, shown he likes in the past. Um, now that we are in the final against a team that is just bonkers when it comes to their offensive potential and the players that they have up front. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether Almeida 
continued um, using that sort of defense-first mentality or if he tries to come out and dominate possession, dominate play. Um, I think at least for this first leg, you're going to see uh, more of the team that you um, that you saw against um, against New York, especially in that second leg, just kind of pinned back and, and open the counterattack, but also um, very disciplined defensively and not straying too far from their assignments. Eric, how has the team kind of a, a adjusted with Liga Emeki's play going on. I mean, the MLS teams, a lot of them do ha- a lot of them have had the advantage of the MLS of MLS kind of uh, putting in a bye week whenever they're supposed to have a uh, CCL game in. They also were rescheduling, but I mean, Liga Emeki doesn't have that uh the, that benefit. So, how have they uh, been uh kind of managing uh the Liga Emeki's and the CCL play? Yeah, they don't have that luxury, but, at the, you know, uh, they, they don't really care about the league anymore. Um, they've shown that over the last two or three games. Every every lineup that you've seen from Chivas, I think, from the semifinals of the CONCACAF Champions League on from that first leg has been their B team. They've been throwing a lot of kids out there trying to trying to uh, give their, their main players um, a rest and sort of focusing them on the task at hand. I mean, if you think about it, Chivas is one of the two most successful teams in Mexico in their history. This is a team that's been around since 1906, and they've got 12 league titles since since uh, 1943 when, when the Mexican First Division was first founded. But they don't have that same amount of success internationally. The only top-cap Champions League uh title that they have, or CONCACAF Champions Cup, I should say, because that's what it was back then, you'd have to go back to 1962 to talk about. So they are hyping their fan base up um, by going after a title that they had never sort of really paid attention or hadn't been successful when they did go out and and try to to win it. 56 years is a long time for a team like Chivas to to win a major international title. So. They are completely focused on it. Absolutely. Is is this the toughest team that Chivas has gone up against in the Champions League? And what type of reaction are are we going to get from this team when they, they walk into BMO Field Tuesday night? Yeah, definitely. I don't think that's a slight towards uh, New York. I mean, to, to the Red Bulls, that they play their hard top. They've definitely got a very dangerous team, a very balanced team that um, is worthy of, of all the praise that they receive, especially in Mexico. But I do think that Toronto FC is a cut above every other team in this competition, and they've shown that consistently. I mean, they knocked out Figuez, which is the most loaded roster in Mexico. They knocked out Club America, which is a team that um, has a experience in that tournament has won that tournament several times um, and now they're, they're facing uh, a Chivas team that is equally important equally historic but they you know if you judge them by the form that they showed in the league they are definitely not the team that Figuez uh, or Omega are so you know you, you ratchet up the expectation for Chivas this time around but you, you look at their history you look at their mystique, you look at their fan base, 
and give them definitely give them a shot, but don't go into this series thinking that Chivas is the favorite. I mean, Toronto FC is clearly the favorite, and mm-hmm. they they will need to Chivas will need to go out and, and just give everything they got, otherwise they're, they're in big trouble. Is that an advantage for Chivas? Because it feels like I I I don't remember off the top of my head, but I don't remember they were favorited in in the previous matchups. But they've kind of been this underdog the entire tournament. In Toronto, you know, they have these huge clubs in, in Tigres and Club America they went up against. Is this kind of a letdown for TFC? And could Chivas exploit that letdown feeling that TFC could get? Well, I don't think TFC is going to be sustaining any sort of letdown. I mean, this is a huge moment for not just Toronto FC, but for MLS in general. I mean, they have practically the entire league behind them. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty hard, especially especially these days, to get uh, Americans and Canadians to, to agree on something, but I think everybody in MLS <laughs> is sort of rooting and pulling for, for TFC, right? Um, at the same time, you know, they, like I said before, they've gone up against bigger and better teams, at least when it comes to form, um, and they've, they've done really well against them. So I think they're, they're focused on the task at hand, TFC. And I think Chivas, they won't really be getting any sort of advantage in, in terms of what TFC expects from them. I think TFC is going to go into those games focused and expecting an all-out war from a team that, like I said before, is one of the two biggest teams in Mexico and has not won this tournament in 56 years. So if you don't think for a minute that Chivas uh, is dying to win the tournament. I mean, you're wrong, but at the same time, they they, they have a mountain to climb, you know. And, and this is not common for Liga MX teams. I think it's it's more of a disadvantage for Chivas to go into this game with all their history, with all of their accomplishments, and sort of say, look, we are not favored to win. We probably can't play the way that we're used to playing, which is this beautiful offensive style, possession heavy, etc. We kind of have to go in there and buckle down for 90 minutes in Toronto and hope that we bring it back to Guadalajara and, and give ourselves a fighting chance. Eric, how has the team been able to separate their league play, which you've mentioned has been really disappointing, and they're playing the CCL, which uh, they're, in the, they're in the final plan, simple. Have they been able to just be like, all right, guys, like Liga Mekis, like, look, it looks like we're not going to get into Ligia or anything like that, this, this is your goal, this is what you need to do, you need to win the CCL. Liga MX is usually a tournament that gives you a chance to qualify uh, pretty much until the very end of the tournament unless you've been grateful. Chivas has had a pretty bad season, but even now, uh, or at least a week ago, they could still get mm-hmm. into the playoffs if they sort of, you know, if they ratchet up their their level of play and, and, and play themselves into the, into uh, the Ligia. But as I mentioned before, Matias Almeida has been pretty clear, not to the media, but, you know, it's implicit when you run out a bunch of kids uh, and you're still potentially fighting for a playoff spot in the league. So the message that he's sending out to his players, his fan base is, we're going all out to Um They can separate that because it's not – guys that's going out there every eight days. You know what I mean? If they're, you know, it, I think it would be pretty interesting and, and definitely different for us to talk about if 
Alan Pulido and Orvalin Pineda and Rodolfo Pizarro and all those guys were, were playing both in the league and in the competition mm-hmm. uh, Champions League, but they're not. Um, so they can play quite nicely. And, and, you know, to your point earlier about uh, MLS helping TFC with these bye weeks and, and rescheduling games and so forth, I mean, Chivas is kind of doing the same themselves. They're basically giving the best players some rest and, and allowing them to get ready for for this uh, for this final match. Now we saw Harry Pereira get suspended uh, for two matches. He served the first uh, part of his suspension in that Red Bull leg. How will it affect uh, the first leg of the CCL final? Yeah, Jerry Pereira is uh, a very important part of that defense. And I think uh, any time you, you take out a player of that importance, of that, uh, just of that magnitude for, for a team like Chivas, they're going to suffer. We've seen them struggle without uh, Jay Pereira and also Osvaldo Alanis, who's their other center back, um, many times this season. And I would argue that not having Osvaldo Alanis at the start of the season kind of doomed them from the, from, from the get-go. So they they need everybody that they can get. Um, yeah, are there players who can sub in for Jay Breda and sort of, you know, patch up the defense and make sure that, that you don't really see that big of a drop in play? I don't think so. I mean, they've been going out there with uh, 19-year-old Benjamin Galindo Jr. in the league, and he's been spotty at best. Um, I really don't think that there's another player on that roster that can give you the type of things that Pereira gives Chivas. So uh, that would be, I mean, if I'm TFC, I am definitely telling Josie and I'm definitely telling Jovico that that is that, that side of the defense is where you go in and you try to make uh, your damage. So it's going to be very interesting, uh, at least for me, to see how Chivas goes into Toronto without their, arguably their best player, their best defender, certainly, and makes it, it makes it a game, you know, makes it a uh, a defensive shutout, which is what they're planning to do. I mean, they haven't, I believe they haven't conceded a goal in like 282 minutes of play. It Do they have the capabilities to score on a team like TFC? Oh, definitely have the capability to score. I mean, they've got some great players on offense. I mentioned a couple of them earlier. Alan Pulido is a new striker, and Rodolfo Pizarro, who's kind of this this uh, hybrid uh, at times between a winger and a uh, attacking midfielder, sometimes a secondary striker. This guy can do it all, and he's trying to play himself into Russia. You know, he's trying to play himself onto a spot on Juan Carlos Osorio's Mexico team, mm. and the way to do that is to show up in big games. I mean, he's been great, Chivas, and, and you saw that. In in uh, in the Concacaf Champions League against New York, in that first leg, Pizarro was just absolutely everywhere. He was pulling the strings. I don't think there's anybody on that final defense uh, that can just stop Pizarro. Maybe they can contain him. Maybe they can they can um, shade over with a couple of guys to uh, keep an eye on him. But he's so versatile. He pops up pretty much anywhere and is able to go after. Um, veteran guys and, and very talented defenders that it's sort of a um, it's just sort of a toss-up. Um, I think the best thing that you can hope for is that you, they get the version of Pizarro that is not as incisive 
as he usually is. Sometimes he'll stay in, in a, a certain sector of, of the pitch, and uh, that kind of limits his effectiveness. Um, at the same time, if you get uh, Picapro moving around and you get Orbelin Pineda moving around, which is another very uh, talented attacking mid- 